Hello and welcome to this shorter and bite-sized edition. I'm calling it bite-sized because it will be under an hour, which isn't too bad. And basically, this is the shorter version of the news update podcast, which means I'll probably be going through updates that a bit more quickly and including less updates than I usually would um, just because I have less time to record an edition for today. I did say there wouldn't be an episode of this for quite a while, but I just meant a full episode. Shorter episodes may appear in the meantime, just to make it seem like it's still going on and that I haven't forgotten about it. And so you don't forget about it as well, so you have something new to listen to. It is 20 past 10 on Wednesday, 14th of September 2022 at the time of recording this episode. And I first of all have some updates with what's going on around the world and around the UK from the BBC. And then I will let you know some updates for what's going on around the world from Sky News. Large queues are forming along the banks of the River Thames as the people wait for the Queen's line in state to begin. The Queen's coffin remains at Buckingham Palace ahead of a procession to Westminster Hall later. Princes William and Harry, along with the King Charles III, will walk behind the coffin as it is carried on a gun carriage. During the procession, guns will be fired at Hyde Park and Big Ben will toll. Hundreds of thousands of people are expected to file past the coffin to pay their respects with a huge police operation in place. The Queen's funeral will be held on Monday 19th of September in just five days' time, which is officially declared as a bank holiday. Now time for this update from Albert Embankment from the BBC, from a BBC News correspondent, Harry Lowe. So there's a video that's been made of the morning queues to see the Queen to give you a sense of how busy it's it's going to be on the opposite of the Houses of, of Parliament as people join the queue to see the Queen's coffin lying in state in Westminster Hall to pay their respects and condolences. By 8 o'clock in the morning, British summer time, just a couple of hours ago, the queue along the embankment nearly reached Westminster Bridge and is growing all of the time. Members of the public will be able to pay their respects at Westminster Hall from 5 o'clock this afternoon. So make sure you get your place right now, just so you get an opportunity to see the Queen, to pay your respects to Say whatever you want to say, but you'll have to make it quick because there's many other people who will want to do the same. The route for people queuing to see the Queen align in state at Westminster Hall and Parliament was released last night by the UK government. The line will start at Albert Embankment near Lambeth Bridge and could stretch all the way to Southwark Park in south-east London. Those queuing are asked not to attempt to save a place for someone else or leave a personal items unattended or put up a tents. Once people reach the front of the queue, they will have to go through airport-style security before entering the Parliament. As some people have been there since last night, some people have been there for a couple of days. So, if you are not very good with the standing up, 
then it may not be the best thing for you to do. But if you can stand up for prolonged periods of time, as you could be waiting for hours and hours upon end, or even for days to get to the front of the queue. Um, so yes, it's a very, very long queue in, indeed, stretching from Westminster Hall, which is where you'll be able to see the Queen in her coffin, all the way back to Southwark Park, if it does get that big at all. It might not be there already, but it could be nearing there soon. Also, this is from Harry Lowe as well, who's on Albert Embankment. Loretta from Birmingham joined the queue at 7.45 this morning. Loretta Barrett got on a train at 5.40 this morning to represent her family as well as staff and children at Dorrington Academy and has been making friends already. It's a deep emotion to be here for me because I just loved her so much, she says. She was such a wonderful woman who celebrated difference, didn't judge us, wanted us to do the best we could do, whether it was work, love or our dreams. Children can relate to that too, she adds. When I did assembly the morning after she died, you could not hear a pin drop in that hall of 800 people. To pay her respects later, she plans on courtesy, for, uh, on courtesy and I should say, and saying thank you, your majesty. I know she's not going to leave us and will be our guardian angel, Loretta adds. In many cupboards, bath bathroom cabinets and even on the side of a few lorries, the Queen's Royal Arms, Arms have, as a symbol, shown consumers that those same products grace the palaces and the castles. But all of that is about to change. When Queen Elizabeth II passed away at her Scottish estate in a Balmoral, more than 600 royal warrants passed with her. These symbols on packaging or websites not only show that the companies meet exist, I mean, exacting standards, I should say, but have also supplied the royal household on a regular basis. It's just got the official royal stamp of approval and usage. The Royal Warrant Association has said, however, that these businesses must now reapply for their warrants. They are reviewed after a change in reigning sovereign, but companies can continue to use the Royal Arms in connection with the business for up to two years until it's all updated. At Crown Paint in Darwin and Lancashire, they are hoping they'll be able to keep that special relationship. It's a real badge of honour and we're really proud of it, explains marketing director Katie McLean, adding that it has become a key factor when it comes to recruiting and retaining staff. The business was awarded the Royal Warrant by King George VI in 1949 and it was renewed by the Queen in 1955. A metal crest hangs high above the main doors of its head office and the firm has recently supplied a paint to Sandringham Estate and a Frogmore Cottage. Although Katie admits it's good for business and for exports, she says the warrant runs far deeper than that. Sustainability and the environment are the words that keep coming up when speaking to businesses about the potential desires of King Charles III. The 180 warrants Charles issued as Prince of Wales will, will continue now that he is a king because they go with the household and not the title. Many of the products affiliated with the Queen are very high-end, 
Fortinum and Mason goodies, champagnes and equine supplies. Others include household items such as Marmite, Twinings Tea, Tate and Lyle Sugars, Cadbury's Chocolates and Heinz Sauces. Heinz has been supplying the royal household since 1951, thanks to inheriting some close connections when it purchased Lee and Perrins. The latter even made a tiny miniature bottle for the children's doll's house in Windsor Castle in 1924. Santa Parks has a backtracked over a decision to ask guests to leave its sites on the day of the Queen's funeral. The holiday firm said it had made the decision as a mark of respect and to allow employees to be part of this historic moment. But the move prompted complaints from angry holidaymakers online. It would have meant some guests would have to have uh, leave. Uh, part way through their break and return afterwards. One holiday maker the BBC spoke to described the previous plans as ridiculous. Others took to Centre Parks' Facebook page to express their anger, with one saying the last-minute change showed no respect to guests. Centre Parks had said that guests would have to leave its five UK sites for 24 hours from 10 o'clock in the morning of BST on Monday 19th of September, British summertime, I should say. The company has now changed its decision, saying that it will no longer require guests who are due to depart on Monday to leave. Those due to arrive on Monday, however, will still not be able to check in until 10 o'clock in the morning of British summertime on a Tuesday. In a statement last night, it said, The vast majority of our guests are either due to arrive or depart on Monday 19th of September. We have, however, reviewed our position regarding the very small number of guests who are not due to depart on Monday, and we will be allowing them to stay on our villages rather than having to leave and return on Tuesday. The five locations of its holiday parks include Alverdon Forest in Suffolk, Longleat Forest in Wiltshire, that's the one I've been to before, Sherwood Forest in Nottinghamshire, I think I might have been to that one before as well, Roborn Forest in Bedfordshire and Windfell Forest in Cumbria. Facilities on site, including restaurants, will still remain closed on Monday too. Centre Park said it would be offering a discount for the lack of facilities available on that day. So altogether, you'll be you'll have to just stay inside wherever you're staying for the whole day, because there will be nothing going on. There'll be no swim pools open, no restaurants. So you'll have to buy your own food as well. So make sure you do that for when you have to stay in for the whole day. So altogether, it's not a great holiday, especially if it's your first day there or your last day. An EU court has largely upheld a record fine against Google for using the Android platform to cement its search engine's dominance. The 4.125 billion euro, that's 3.5 billion pound penalty, is the largest antitrust fine ever handed down by the European Commission. It said Google had breached its laws with by forcing Android phone makers to carry its search and web browser apps in order to access the Google Play Store in 2018. Google has since changed its terms. The firm said it was disappointed by the verdict. Android has created more choice for everyone and not less and supports thousands of successful businesses in Europe and around the world, Google said in a statement. 
The European General Court reduced the Commission's original fine slightly in its final ruling on Google's appeal today in order, it said, to reflect the gravity and the duration of the infringement. The General Court largely confirms the Commission's decision that Google imposed unlawful restrictions on manufacturers of Android mobile devices and mobile networks in order to consolidate the dominant position of its search engine, it said. More details are to follow. A U.S. teenager who stabbed, who stabbed her alleged rapist to death has been sentenced by an Iowa court to five years probation. Piper Lewis, who is 17, was also ordered to pay $150,000, that's £130,350 to Zachary Brooks's family over his murder in 2020 in Des Moines. She was 15 at the time. Last year, she pleaded guilty to involuntary manslaughter and a willful injury. Both the charges are punishable by up to 10 years in jail. She could be jailed for 20 years if she violates her probation terms. Lewis was sentenced yesterday by Polk County District Judge David M. Porter. Under the terms of her probation, the judge ordered her to be placed in a residential facility where she must wear a tracking device. The next five years of your life will be full of rules you disagree with, I'm sure of it, Mr Porter said. This is the second chance that you've asked for, you don't get a third. While he alluded to the controversial nature of Lewis being forced to make payments to Mr Brooks's family, he noted that this court is presented with no other option under Iowa law. My spirit has been burned but still glows through the flames. Hear me roar, see me glow and watch me grow, Lewis read on a Tuesday from a statement she had prepared. The Associated Press News Agency reports, I am a survivor, she added. In 2020, Lewis was sleeping in a hallway after fleeing an abusive home when a man took her in and trafficked her to others for sex. She told the court one of them was Brooks, who was 37, and that he had raped her many times. The teenager stabbed him more than 30 times in June 2020 in a flat in Des Moines, the capital of the Iowa state in the Midwestern region, when she was aged just 15. While Lewis accepted she had committed a crime, she defended her actions. Police and prosecutors have not disputed that Lewis was sexually assaulted and trafficked, but the prosecution had argued that Brooks was asleep at the time and therefore not an immediate threat. Dozens of U.S. states have adopted so-called safe harbor laws that offer victims of trafficking some level of immunity, but a bill passed by the Iowa House of Representatives had stalled in the state Senate after law enforcement groups raised concerns. Kenneth Starr, the prosecutor whose investigation led to then-President Bill Clinton's impeachment, has died at the age of 76, as the family says. Starr, a former judge and U.S. Solicitor General, died at a Houston hospital yesterday of complications from surgery. As the independent counsel investigated Mr. Clinton, Starr became a household name across the U.S. More recently, he served on the team defending former President Donald Trump from impeachment in 2020. A native of Texas, Starr was appointed by the U.S. Department of Justice in 1994 to investigate Whitewater, a scandal-plagued 1980s land venture that involved both Bill and Hillary Clinton.
While conducting the investigation, Starr found evidence that Mr Clinton had been having an affair with the White House intern, Monica Lewinsky. It resulted in Mr Clinton being impeached by the US House of Representatives in 1998. He was later acquitted by the Senate. Starr wrote about the inquiry in a best-selling book, Condemned, a memoir of the Clinton investigation. He said while promoting the book in a CBS interview in 2018 that he regretted the pain that resulted to so many, including to the nation, from the Leminski phase of the probe. Of the probe, I should say. The Michelin Guide has published its first Canadian edition, awarding 13 restaurants in Toronto with coveted stars. Some 74 restaurants across 27 cuisine types in the country's largest city received a Michelin nod. Reactions to the selection has been mixed with praise for the number of restaurants but criticism for the lack of diversity among winners. Vancouver will be the next Canadian city to feature in the Michelin Guide. Around 350 people attended the in-person announcement yesterday. The arrival of the Guide in Toronto, first announced in May by Michelin, the city's mayor, and Canada's federal minister by tour- I mean for tourism, has been celebrated by some as an exciting opportunity that will boost exposure for the city, marking it as a global desti- destination for food and travel. Most of the restaurants awarded stars are located in Toronto's city centre and feature tasting menus. Among the one-star winners are Allo, a modern French restaurant that has consistently been ranked among the best restaurants in the world, and Don Alfonso, 1890, once named the best Italian restaurant outside of Italy. Twelve of the restaurants received one Michelin star, which means very good in its category. One restaurant, Sushi Masaki Sato, won two Michelin stars, meaning it boasts an excellent cooking that is worth a detour. Its eponymous chef has previously been awarded two Michelin stars for a sushi restaurant in Manhattan, but has since moved to Toronto. Michelin also awarded 17 restaurants the Bib Gourmet Award, which celebrates great food sold at a reasonable price. Others were recognised for their sommeliers, surface and cocktail selections. Among the Bib Gourmet winners are Grey Gardens, run by renowned Toronto restaurateur Jen Ag, and Indian Food Street Company, a smaller joint inspired by the old coffee shops found in Delhi and Mumbai. The winners made history as the first to get a Michelin nod in Canada, a a coveted honour that that has roots to the tire company's founding in 1889, but has since become a symbol of success and notoriety globally for the culinary and hospitality industry. Twitter's shareholders have voted to approve a deal with Elon Musk to buy the company for $44 billion, that's £38 billion. The decision was made in a short conference call with investors from the company's San Francisco headquarters. It means Twitter will now try to force Elon Musk to buy the company in the courts. The meeting followed explosive testimony from Twitter's former head of security, Peter Satko, in front of the U.S. Senate. 
In April, Twitter agreed to sell the company to the world's richest person, Elon Musk. However, the deal soured after Mr. Musk alleged he was misled by Twitter about the number of spam and bot accounts on the platform. He said he no longer wished to purchase the company in May, but Twitter argues that Mr. Musk cannot back out of the deal. The social media platform says that fewer than 5% of its monetizable daily active users, those who are able to look at adverts, are bots. Mr. Musk argues it could be many times higher. Twitter is currently valued at $32 billion, considerably below the $44 billion offer from Mr. Musk. Today's vote could have spelled the end of Twitter's legal pursuit, but shareholders have now given the company the green light to pursue Mr. Musk in court. The two were set to meet in front of a Delaware state court in October. During the hearing, a judge will decide whether or not Mr. Musk has to buy the company. Just before the shareholder decision, Twitter whistleblower Peter Satko was in Washington testifying before the Senate Judiciary Committee about alleged security flaws. Now time for some updates from Sky News. Before I move on to other updates from other sources and then a weather forecast for the UK for the next five days and some localised weather forecasts as well from the Met Office UK website. And as it has been wet weather at the moment, and it's still wet out there at the moment, there might also still be some flood warnings and flood alerts in force, especially for England. So I will let you know any weather warnings and flood warnings which are in place as well. But that will be after the Sky News updates and the other updates I want to include. A sensitive diplomatic cable released by the U.S. has revealed more than $260 million has been secretly spent by Russia to try to influence politicians and other officials in more than two dozen countries. The U.S. State Department took the unusual step of releasing the cable signed by Secretary of State Anthony Blinken that was sent on Monday to U.S. embassies and consulates abroad, many of them in Europe, Africa and South Asia, laying out their concerns. The document was not intended for foreign audiences but was not classified and contained a series of talking points that US diplomats were instructed to raise with their host of governments regarding alleged Russian interference. It does not name Russia's specific targets but says the US is now providing classified information to certain individual countries. According to the contents, intelligence officials believe Russia planned to transfer at least hundreds of millions more dollars in funding to sympathetic parties and officials around the world. Louis Capaldi says that before he was diagnosed with Tourette's syndrome, he feared he was dying and had a degenerative disease. The 25-year-old singer-songwriter went to public with this condition last week on social media. I think it's very dramatic, really, because Tourette's isn't that serious. It can make you say random things, maybe some inappropriate things and swearing, or have random movements at times. But it's not really that extreme. I think he's playing it on just a little bit, being a bit too dramatic with it. But I guess it is a bit scary and anxious at first. So I think definitely there was some worry in there for definite, not knowing what exactly was going on before the diagnosis.
The 25-year-old singer-songwriter went to public with his condition last week on social media. I might have already said that, but I said it again. <laughs> Tourette syndrome causes a person to make involuntary sounds and movements called a tics, according to the NHS website. And that's what I just said myself, because I have some knowledge about the condition as well. Not that I have it, but just in case I stumble upon anybody who does have it, I'll know what's going on. The Scottish star said his diagnosis made a lot of sense, adding, I raise my eyebrows quite a lot, I do this shoulder thing, I take these deep breaths every now and then. I thought I was dying because I am a hy hypochondriac, so I thought I had some degenerative disease, but I don't, so good news on that front. In an Instagram Live last week, following his diagnosis a few months ago, Capaldi said he received a Botox treatment in his shoulder to help control his tics. Yesterday, he told presenter Lorraine Kelly on ITV, I got told like seven months ago or something like that, really recently. It made a lot of sense. To me, I am quite a jittery individual. A lot of people think I am on drugs when they meet me. More than 300,000 people in the UK are estimated to have Tourette's, an inherited neurological condition. As about the public reaction to him talking openly about his diagnosis, the Glasgow-born musician said, People have reached out and they have said that, that I am an ambassador, which was great. So there you go. I have got a new title this week as well. I said The singer said that sometimes you feel you are alone in these things and it is nice to just see that you are not so isolated in all this stuff. He added it has been a bit of an eye-opener, but it is nice. And it's great that he can control it in some way so he can still sing and perform as best as he can without having, you know, too many ticks at and, and too many, you know, involuntary things happening. Which isn't too bad. So I think he's he's got a less extreme version of it because he can control it and he's found ways to control it, such as a Botox, which he can afford that type of thing, which some people can't. But anyway, at least he's got a less extreme version, so he has his, he has a good, really. He has a better than some people who have the condition. And finally, a pen faced the wrath of the king this after, uh, yesterday afternoon, um, after, um, after it began leaking, when he signed a visitor's book in Northern Ireland. I lost where I was for a second, but I'm on track again now. The monarch became frustrated and swore as the pen malfunctioned and it appeared that it was not its first offence. The king was at Hillsborough Castle to commemorate his mother, the queen. I'm sure that she would have been watching and laughing along with him, to be honest, shouting and, and yelling at this pen. Well, maybe not shouting, but becoming angry and swearing at the pen. As he signed the book, he had to ask an aide what the date was, having originally inscribed the wrong one. After finishing his note, the king passed the pen to Camilla, the queen consort. At this point, he lost his temper with the offending instrument. Oh God, I hated this, he said. His wife replied, oh look, it's going everywhere, as the king wiped ink from his hand. An aide went to intervene and take the pen from the queen consort. I can't bear this bloody thing every stinking time, the king said as he walked away. The king had also needed assistance while signing a document earlier in the succession process. 
joined the accession council at St. James's Palace on a Saturday. His Majesty flapped his hand repeatedly at an inkwell on the table and waited for an aide to take it away. One former aide told Reuters that, while the king could be fun, he was also short-tempered and demanding, which may also be a bit of a struggle, but it might, it might just be that times are tough at the moment, and maybe he's a bit, maybe, you know, with the grief and that which he's going through at the moment with the loss of his mother, maybe that might be affecting how he is. So we shall see if that continues and if he continues to be short-tempered and demanding or if eventually things will calm down a bit for him. It might just be because he's going through a sad time at the moment and grieving whilst also having to do all these public things, which he has to do anyway. It can be, it can be very difficult. So it might just be that he's not in the best of moods right now and just needs time to get a bit more happier. Now that let's let you know a couple of updates from other sources before I let you know the UK weather forecast from the Met Office UK website. So first of all, this update from the mirror.co.uk website with the kennel staff being left in hysterics over a dog's name being the funniest thing they have ever heard. So let's get into this. When it comes to choosing a dog's name, owners can spend hours trying to come up with something that makes their pooch stand out in the park. And one owner left a kennel staff in hysterics after achieving just that. A woman who works at a dog boarding centre has shared the dog's name which left her team in stitches, stating it's the funniest thing they've ever heard. She told Reddit, I've been working with the dogs for about five years, two of two of them as a dog bather and three years in a dog boarding. I've seen some interesting names for dog uh, for dogs. I love it. The weirdest and most interesting name I've come across so far is a bacon lunchbox. She went on to share other notable names she had heard through the years, saying Skunk Little Big Daddy and a Fluffer Nutter Felicia became quick favourites. She added, We have had siblings named Butter and Scotch and two dogs unrelated to each other, one named Thor and the other called Loki. There was two Goldens from different families, one named Bane and the other Batman James Franco. The owner insisted on saying their full name. It comes after an owner explained how their dog's unique name has been causing problems within their family after their mum refused to walk their dog because of it. Seeking reassurance on Reddit, the owner explained how he wanted to name his dog something funny because it would create more joy in his day-to-day life. He said, so I personally find this hilarious, but my mother does not. I recently got a lab of puppy and I named him a wolf. Some of my friends like it. Others think it is silly while my mother hates it. Unable to understand why her son would name his dog Woof, the mum refuses to walk his dog in the public. He says his mum cannot fathom calling Woof's name in the park as it would fill her with too much embarrassment to shout within earshots of others. I guess that's just my own sense of humour because I laugh when I call my dog's name out loud at a dog park, he added. And finally, time for this update from the dailystar.co.uk website before we move on to a weather forecast from the Met Office UK website. Nearly 70 decomposing bodies have been left to rot. In two cases, 
to help catch the murderers. So let's get into this. I'll tell you all about this, why this is happening and where it's actually happening. After 70 decomposing bodies have been left in wheelie bins and suitcases in Western Australia bushland in an attempt to catch killers. The strange study is taking place in Western Australia, where suitcases and bins have been filled with the stillborn piglets in the hopes of studying and understanding the decomposition process. Researchers are hoping to understand the effects of temperature changes and humidity inside and outside of the cases, as well as changes to the bones or bodies. Several stillborn piglets have been left exposed to the elements as a control group for the study, which hopes to aid crime scene investigators with their reconstruction of events in murder cases. So that's all very interesting indeed. A different way to... um to test this theory really and to find out the results. Paola Magni, who is the senior lecturer in Forensic Science at Murdoch University, said that dozens of deceased bodies are concealed in what is referred to as limited access environments. Suitcases, wheelie bins, trunks of cars and even wardrobes and cupboards were cited as potential visiting places for murder victims Magni said this occurs because the perpetrators try to avoid an easy discovery by the authorities or because they need something in which they can temporarily store or move the body from place to place. Those places, Magni says, are from the primary crime scene where the death event and murder happens to the secondary crime scene where the body is left or discovered. And finally, let's move on to the Met Office UK weather forecast. I said that this edition is just a bite-sized edition and I am aiming to keep it that way. It's a bite-sized because it is under an hour. It's not even an hour and a half at this time around. It may not even be 45 minutes, but it's at least under an hour. So it's a bite-sized edition due to that. And also I've included less updates overall and some of the updates are shorter updates. But let's first of all get into the flood alerts which are in place in England issued by the Environment Agency. 21 flood warnings have been removed within the past 24 hours so those are no longer in place. But there are five flood alerts in place, which are amber alerts, which just means that flooding is possible. So just prepare for flooding, but don't actually, but you may not actually have to do anything. Eastern Yar, the Essex coast from Clackerton to and including St. Peter's Flat and the Colney and Blackwater estuaries. And then the North Norfolk coast from East Clee to Kellinghard, including Salt House. The North Norfolk coast from Old Hunstanton to and including Clay. Tidal Thames Riverside from Putney Bridge to Teddington Weir. So just bear in mind that if you are, if you are in any of those locations and areas, then you might have to prepare for flooding. So just there's an amber alert of flooding in place for those areas. So just be prepared and that the flooding is possible, but you may not actually have to do anything. But make sure you get yourself ready just in case. Now for the uh, five-day weather forecast for the UK as a whole. 
So for today, there'll be rain, some heavy in the far south, slowly clearing to the southeast whilst weakening. Elsewhere, it will be mostly dry, with the good sunny spells of the lighter showers affecting west and north Scotland, and perhaps northern Ireland. Some heavier showers later for the northern isles. For tonight, it will be dry for most with clear spells, chilly for the far north of England and much of Scotland, showers continuing to feed into parts of Northern Ireland and North Scotland, some heavy here. For tomorrow, it will be dry for most with good sunny spells, perhaps an isolated shower east of England during the day. More frequent showers are feeding into Northern Ireland and North Scotland with the summer heavy here. Then for Friday to Sunday to be generally fine and dry with a variable cloud and sunny spells. Isolated showers are also possible mainly in the northern and eastern areas where it will also be breezy. It will be turning cooler with the summer chilly nights. In Cardiff and Wales, it could be as warm as 21 degrees Celsius during the day today, 13 degrees Celsius in the evening. Sunny intervals are changing to cloudy by early evening. The ultraviolet is medium and the pollution is low. The sun did rise and, and has risen, I should say, so it's nice and bright out there at the moment. And it could be, and the sun will set, I should say, at half past seven or two night. So that's when... It'll be going dark. Now let's move on to London in England. And it could be as warm as 21 degrees Celsius during the day today. 16 degrees Celsius in the evening. Cloudy change into sunny intervals in the afternoon. The ultraviolet is medium and the pollution is low. The sun has already risen. So it's currently light outside at least. How light it just depends where you are. And the sun will be setting at 18 minutes past 7 tonight. Now time for Glasgow in Scotland, where it could be as warm as 17 degrees Celsius during the day today, 8 degrees Celsius in the evening. Cloudy change into sunny intervals in the afternoon. And the sun has already risen, so it's currently light out there. How light it is, it just depends how cloudy it is where you are in Glasgow. The ultraviolet is medium and the pollution is low. And the sun will be setting at 38 minutes past 7 tonight. And finally for Liverpool in the Merseyside, could it be as warm as 17 degrees Celsius during the day today, 14 degrees Celsius in the evening, and it's going to be a overcast and a cloudy day. And the ultraviolet is medium and the pollution is low. The sun has already risen, so it's currently light out there. How light it is just depends where you are in Liverpool and how cloudy it is for you. And the sun will be setting at 31 minutes past 7 tonight. And that's about it for all the weather to let you know about from the Met Office UK website. And that is everything to let you know about in this bite-sized, shorter edition of the News Update podcast, which I hope you did enjoy and find in, and found uh, interesting and informative in some way. Should I do more bite-sized editions of this, 
or should I just do more full episodes where I include more updates, longer and more in-depth updates and things like that really? Let me know in the feedback for this podcast, which you can do via leaving a voice message on the Anchor app if you have an Anchor account, or you can leave your feedback underneath this episode of the Bite Size News Update and take it from there really is this will probably that will probably be the question for this episode of the news updates podcast which is a, the first bite-sized edition of it it won't be the last i will be recording more bite-sized episodes of this podcast so look out for those when that happens but i hope that you found it interesting at least with all of the updates which I included in this edition of the News Updates podcast, feel free to join me for the next edition of this, where I will have more updates from other sources with the different things which are going on, along with updates from the BBC and Sky News with what's going on around the world and around the UK, more things surrounding Queen Elizabeth II's death as well, and all the events which are going on with her, along with the queues for her standing in state as well, which will be happening later on today in London, and also the UK weather forecast and any weather warnings or flood warnings or alerts to let you know about from the Met Office UK website. So I'll also let you know all of that information as I get that information as well. And any other things I want to let you know about in the bite size edition or the normal edition of this as well. Thank you for listening to my voice. You've managed to listen to it for quite a while, shorter than usual, so you haven't had to listen to it for as long as the previous episode, which was like almost two hours, wasn't it? It was very long. I think it was a bit too long. I think I'll have to try and find a way to make it a little bit shorter for the next one. Not too short, but just short enough when I next do a normal edition of this and not a shorter bite-sized version. But I hope that you feel informed with what's going on around the world and around the UK. Feel free to answer the question that has been posted on Spotify as well under this podcast. You can listen to this podcast via Apple and Google Podcasts and also via um, Stitcher. I think you can listen to it via that platform now. I'll have to double check. Um, You might be able to listen to it on Amazon Music soon, but you can definitely listen to this podcast on Anchor and Spotify, as well as Google and Apple Podcasts. I am aiming to make this podcast available on as many different podcast listening platforms as possible, but as this is a new podcast, just bear with me, it will take me time to distribute the podcast to as many different platforms as possible and once i have all of the platforms that i want this podcast to be available on available and it's all available on those platforms then that'll be great to be honest as then i'll be then i'll have a more confirmed list but but at the moment the list will be changing until further notice and it'll probably be expanding a little bit until i have distributed it to as many different places as I can. 
I have noticed that at least one person has listened to the first episode of this podcast. So I just want to say thank you to that person for listening to the first episode of this podcast. I hope that you manage to listen to the other episodes of the podcast as well. And join me for the next edition of this. And also thank you to the future listeners of this podcast as well. Maybe I'll find more people will listen to the bite-sized version. We shall see. I shall stop rambling on now as I do ramble on too much at the end, don't I? So I'm trying not to do that. Join me for the next episode. Bye-bye for now.